turn to Psalm 80. Psalm 80. It says three times in that psalm, verse number 3, verse number 7, and verse number 19. It says, Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. Three times. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. I have been meditating for 10 days or so on the power of turning, the power of repentance. And not too terribly long ago, I did a message on preparing the heart for forgiveness and the role that repentance plays in preparing the heart. And so I don't need to go over some of the things that were shared in that message Even though repentance is a command, we have already seen that repentance comes as a gift. The goodness of God leads us to repent. The fact that God could be so good to us in the condition that we're in, what else can you do but repent? And if the goodness of God doesn't lead us to repentance, then He'll try the law and use the law to convict us thoroughly. The law will lead us to repentance. Or even the best of all, you never want to offend somebody you love. And love for God leads us continually to be repentant as a lifestyle because we just never want to do anything to hurt God. Repentance was the first thing that was taught by John the Baptist. And it was the very first thing that was taught by Jesus when he said, prepare for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is a most crucial ingredient of the gospel message. We've already discussed in previous words that the power to repent comes as a response to the amazing love of God first to us. And here's the wonderful thing. Because we have been found by God. How many can say amen to that one? Because we have been found by God... And because we are truly accepted by Him, we can afford to lose ourselves. I'll try that again. Because we have been found by God, we can afford to lose ourselves. You have no need to hold on to self-independence. There is no need to prove your worth in order to be accepted. We have been found. We are accepted. And gratitude in us simply spills out in repentance. For gratitude's sake, we enter into discipleship. For gratitude's sake, we become self-sacrificing for the sake of other people. In the Gospels, repentance is a good thing. To repent is to become a child of the King. Because I've got some good news. The King of the Kingdom of Heaven 
is no one other than your heavenly Father. That's good news. He's not a despot. The king happens to be a heavenly father. That, my friend, is good news. And as such, he is committed to our care. He's committed to the provision of our needs. And to repent in the Gospels is simply to become like our Heavenly Father. To be salt and light and living out the life of the kingdom in this present world. By definition, the word repent simply means to change your mind. That's all that it means, to change your mind. As I said, there's no need to prove your worth at all. You've been accepted. And since that is the case that you are accepted, you can easily follow the command of Jesus to become as a little child. It's easy. You can easily follow his command to humble yourself and to become dependent on our Heavenly Father. I want to speak about the condition of the heart tonight and the role of biblical repentance in making our heart something beautiful. Something beautiful. God is looking for perfect hearts. God is looking for pure hearts. The Bible would say that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through whole, whole earth. The seeking the one whose heart is loyal or whose heart is perfect before him. Because when God finds such a person, he delights, the Bible says, in showing himself strong on behalf of that person. If you want to reference Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9. The Bible says it's the pure in heart that will see God. Matthew 5 and verse 8. When somebody has a pure heart, it just makes them beautiful. Beauty radiates from the heart. It just makes them beautiful. It makes everything around them pleasant. And the fact is God created us with a heart that is capable of absolute great beauty. But the problem is, is that sin has damaged it. Sin has hardened it. And sin has made the heart ugly, and the scripture says, and deceitful above all things. And that's the condition we're in when God finds us. So for our understanding tonight, I want you to think of our heart like a field. A field out in the countryside. And a field might be cultivated... And it might be flourishing with abundant crops. It might be flourishing with abundant fruit. Or the field could be hard ground. It could be full of stones. It could be full of weeds. It could be full of thistles. When God found us, he found the field of our hearts in bad condition. And he wants to restore it and make it a fruitful place of beauty. But the question is, how does God go about restoring that field to beauty? How can the human heart be restored? We're going to see that repentance is what God uses to soften our heart. To qualify it and to enhance it with potential for great beauty. 
God has said by the prophet, my intention is to take out those hearts of stone and give a heart of flesh in its place. Take away the hardness and replace it with softness. And the prophets will go on to say that in the the softness of a new heart, I'm going to take my pen of the Holy Spirit and I'm going to write my laws inside your heart and inside your mind and I'm going to put into a new soft heart the life impulse of compassion, the ability to be affectionate, tenderness, love, and mercy. I know that Speaking for myself, I have personally asked the Lord many times, Give me that soft heart. Give me a heart that's pliable in your presence. Give me a heart that's easily bent. Because doesn't the scripture say that the true sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. I want to be one of the people that fulfill the prophet Isaiah when he says those who tremble, tremble at his word. I want to be that person. I have asked God to be broken. Sometimes it's dangerous to ask God to break you. But I've asked God to be broken. I've asked God that I would be melted before him, that I would learn to unashamedly cry and unashamedly wash his feet with tears of gratitude. I've asked God to break my heart. Be careful what you pray. He just might give it to you. There's a song that we sing, I can't think of which one it is, but one of the lines is, you know, break my heart for what break yours. You know, break my heart for what breaks yours. When repentance has done its work, and when repentance has softened the human heart, I know this, faith rises much more easily. I know that communion with the Lord can be very sweet. And I know the effect of sin, my own sin, and the sin of other people against me, the effect of that sin is annulled. And something else I know, that demons lose all influence when a person's heart is broken. I do know that. Experience has shown me over the years that in helping people, counseling with people, experience has shown me that when a person is truly repentant, they actually require very little counseling. Very little because the issues that cloud their heart have been swept away by the power of repentance. Another thing I've experienced over the years, that those who struggle with demonic issues and powers of darkness, when there is repentance in the heart, deliverance is much, much easier. Because the heart has been swept clean from whatever attracts the demonic. True revival is a matter of the condition of the heart before God. And I'm praying, and I know you're praying, and I know leadership is praying, and I know church is praying. We really are praying for revival. There's a yearning for God to break through. Amen? 
There's a yearning for the power of God to be manifest. There's a yearning for the kingdom of heaven to be manifest. There's a yearning for a display of the power that displaces the powers of darkness. But I know this, that true revival has got to start in our hearts. I know that. The condition of our heart is absolutely paramount before God. Absolutely paramount. If we truly want to see the power of the kingdom of heaven, which everybody in this room does, the fact is, we have to have fully prepared hearts. If we want His abiding presence, our hearts have got to be right. In the great Welsh revival, the way they prayed for I forget how long a period of time they prayed before the Welsh revival broke out. But the great prayer before the revival broke out was, Lord, bend me. Simple prayer. Bend me. I want you to bend me. And they cried out for it. Well, how long would those simple words bend me? Take my heart and prepare it. And revival came. As I consider repentance and looking at my own heart, I discover, I think we could say, true biblical repentance can be described in six stages. And I want to share six stages of repentance. Six experiences that the heart needs to pass through. And when the heart passes through each of these six stages, it gets wonderfully cleansed, and it gets powerfully set free. And if any of these stages are lacking or missing, then repentance will be shallow and unsatisfying in its ability to cleanse the heart. In other words, the full potency to cleanse and transform the heart is minimized if we skip any of these stages. So I have to ask the question, do I want a perfect heart? And I could ask you the same question. Do you want a perfect heart? If so, what are the six experiences, six stages of repentance that God works in our heart to break it down Take out the hardness, to make it fleshly, to make it soft, and to make it pliable. So how is God going to clear the field? What's He going to do? How does He prepare the heart? How does He clear the field? Are you ready? You want to hear it? Part of you that wants to hear it, and part of you that doesn't want to hear it, right? We want to hear it, but we also realize... The plow isn't always a nice feeling, but it's got to happen. Step number one is this. You have to be able to see yourself as God sees you. Being able to see your true condition. When the Lord sent Paul the Apostle out on the mission field, it says, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. And the first thing it says is to open their eyes. The ability 
to see. Now this can be very difficult stage, very difficult to accept, because nobody wants to see the natural heart for what it is. Nobody wants to see it, because it's a shock to see the true condition of an uncircumcised heart. Our pride, our independence, our self of self-importance doesn't want us to see what's in that. We don't want to be exposed and we don't want to gaze in the mirror and see what's there. But the process of getting a soft heart before God begins with seeing. It begins with seeing. Jesus defined repentance in the story of the prodigal son. In, in Luke 15, he gives three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the one that's often called as the prodigal son. For the lost sheep, there's joy in heaven over one that repents. For the lost coin, there's joy in the presence of angels over the one that repents. But instead of using the word repent in that third parable of the prodigal son, Jesus substituted a little phrase and that phrase was this, when the prodigal son, it says this, when he came to himself. When it finally dawned on him what he had done. When he realized the damage and the hurt and the pain that he had inflicted, especially upon his father. When he realized what he had done and squandered all that wealth, when, when the, the reality of it all settled in upon him, and he began to understand and see what he did for what it was, that was Jesus' definition of repentance. King James Bible says, when he came to himself. King Solomon, when he dedicated the temple that he built, and he has this long prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8. And he says, when your people, if they go wrong and they go astray and you give them over to foreign nations. But if they repent, but the word he said, if they repent, the word he used is when they come to themselves. When they come to themselves. I like how the old King James Bible puts it. It says, when they bethink themselves. <laughs> There's old English for you. When they bethink themselves. When they come to themselves. So it begins with God shining His light on the human heart. And the light of God weighs our inner and our hidden motives. He doesn't shine His light so much on our outward actions. But He shines that light on our inner motives. Our hidden motivations. And repentance, the process of repentance begins when that is revealed to us and we begin to realize that about ourselves. That's where it begins. Stage number two, Psalm 38 verse 18 says, I will be sorry for my sin. Or some versions of the Bible will say, I will be in anguish with my sin. And when it says sorry or anguish, if I could take you to that Hebrew word, I will have sorrow for it. It actually means having your soul crucified. Now doesn't that sound like fun? 
You know, we think about the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross and the physical pain that he went through. But godly sorrow is a crucifixion of the soul. In other words, you respond to what you see in such anguish. You are filled with such a sense of of anguish, emotional anguish, that it drives you to do something about it. You, You can't handle what you've seen. You've got to make it right. And it can be likened to pains in childbirth where it's coming and you can't stop it. The baby's coming, you can't stop it. And and these waves of sorrow and anguish in our heart over what we have seen, just, it's impossible to hold them back. We're filled with remorse over that which we have seen. It's not superficial, but it's a holy agony that is, the purpose of it is to start breaking down the hardness that's in the heart. And that's why you're going to hear the Old Testament prophets say, especially many times, so rend your heart, not your garments. Rend your heart, not your garments. And when that inner grief is real, it's kind of interesting how the Bible describes how people physically react when they're going through that inward grief. There's four different physical reactions that people would give. One of them is that they they strike themselves. They just keep hitting themselves on their legs. They just have you ever done that to yourself? Beat yourself up? <laughs> you know, they're just oh I can't believe it. Oh striking themselves on the thigh. Another one is beat your breast. Just oh ever done that to yourself? Just oh here's another one. I know you haven't done this one. You go put on sackcloth. You just can handle what you see. And here's another one in the book of Ezra. When you, when you, when you surreal it, you know what you do? Is you grab your hair and you pull. You just pull your hair. Have you ever been so emotionally disturbed at something on the inside? Have you, you done any of that kind of stuff? Anybody? Yeah. Never. Never. You know. And, and what this is is the power of God working in the hardness of somebody's heart to break it up. To break it up. To break it up. That's what's happening. Some inward realities, while those outward manifestations might be taking place, the inward realities that are taking place is this. The heart is getting broken. It's not a false and it's not an outward show of a long face. But deep and inwardly, you're really cut to the heart. In the book of Acts, it says many times, and they were cut to the heart as they heard the word preached. It cut them right to the heart. The psalmist would describe the process as my heart was grieved and I'm vexed in my mind. And what the sorrow was for is not so much what you've done outwardly, but the sorrow is over why you've done it. The hidden motivation has been exposed. We're sorry not for, not for the punishment, but we're sorry for the offense that we've committed. Because we realize that we have caused God 
emotional pain. We have caused God emotional pain. And so we have to cry out to God in faith. Sometimes, depending on what we've done, restitution is required. And this becomes in us an abiding lifestyle. It's just not a one-off experience. Because there are many people who hear a message and, and get emotionally moved by the message. There's been a drama of some sort and they have to give an instant response to it and they're emotionally moved by it. But it's just a one-off experience. But the true sorrow in the heart becomes a habitual lifestyle where we learn to always be tender before God and we can never, ever, ever do anything that would ever cause Him any sense of pain. It's keeping our heart tender before God as a lifestyle. Stage number three, as God works in the depths of our heart to break up the ground, is confession. Repentance always leads to confession. Matter of fact, God says in Hosea 5, verse 15, He says, I'll come back, I'll go away until they acknowledge their transgression. Confession. True repentance means we take ownership for our actions and we take ownership over our inner attitudes. In 2 Samuel 24, King David, when he saw what the destroying angel was doing to Jerusalem, he's the one that ordered the sentence, nobody else. But a lot of people were dying because of him. And David steps up and says, stop it. It's my fault. I'm the one who is guilty, not these innocent sheep. I'm the one who is guilty. And he takes ownership for what he has done. In other words, we don't blame somebody else. We don't blame something else. And we actually accuse ourselves. How many know that if you accuse yourself and get it dealt with, Satan can't come along and accuse you later? Is that not right? If you deal with it, Satan can't come along and accuse you later. But for this confession to be real, it can never be forced. I can never twist somebody's arm that says, you've got to make a confession. It has to be voluntary. And it can never be forced. The prodigal son made a decision. I will arise and go back to my father. Confession has to be deep with a deep resentment against the sin. It has to be sincere, and it has to hit the target. In other words, you don't confess just generally. You name the thing that you are confessing. Let the arrow hit the target. We have to confess the true nature of our heart, and we have to confess, God, anything you've done to me, you're just in all of it. You're not guilty. And we resolve to cease from that sin. That's stage three. How deep is God God work in our hearts to clean it? Stage number four is that as conviction deepens in people's hearts, they experience something called shame. They experience something called shame. In other words, we learn to blush. Our face reveals what our heart has been exposed. There's a variety of scriptures where it talks about that they would be ashamed. Uh, People have forgot how to blush. The fifth stage 
But repentance keeps doing its deep work. Is it, we, it, there develops in us a hatred for what we've done. A hatred for the sin. And we make a decision that we can never come into alliance with it ever again. For instance, Ezekiel 36, 31, it says, When you remember, you loathe yourselves in your own sight. And the psalmist came out to saying in Psalm 119, 104, Therefore I hate every evil way. And then the sixth stage of repentance that clears the field is very simple. We turn. We turn from sin, and we also turn to God. Joel 2.12 says, Turn to me with all your heart. That's important that we have to turn to God with all our heart, because in Jeremiah 3.10, it God said about Judah, she has not turned to me with her whole heart, but only in pretense. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Isaiah 55, 7. Repentance is more than turning from sin. It's turning to God. Turning towards God. We also turn in such a way as we know we'll never go back to what we just left. We'll never go back to what we just left. There's a variety of scriptures that say these, more scriptures than I could possibly quote for you tonight. But it's through these six stages that people get set free. When people go through these difficult experiences, it sets their heart free. Faith is real, possible. Beauty is restored back. God can do wonderful things in the heart that is clear and it's soft. What are those stages? Seeing your condition. Sorrow. Having the soul crucified. Confession. Experiencing a sense of shame over what we've discovered. That shame becomes hatred for what we discovered And that hatred causes us to turn from it and turn towards God. When people get saved with the gift of repentance, and repentance does its deep work in them, then people's lives are literally transformed miraculously. They really are. Got to keep the heart pure. Through these stages, I said, the heart is set free. Pride and sin are removed. I want you to read with me 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 11 is a verse where, where Paul has had to deal with the Corinthian church over a certain behavior that it was experiencing, a certain attitude and a... <coughs> excuse me... A certain, well, they were allowing sexual immorality to go on in the church. And Paul, through hard words, really had to challenge him on this issue. And he really dealt strongly with them on this issue. But they, thankfully, dealt with it. But look at the depth in which they dealt with it. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 11 says, For observe this very thing that you sorrowed, 
in a godly manner. What diligence it wrought in you. What clearing of self, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what revenge. In all things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. Let me just work through that verse a little slower. It says, you sorrowed after a godly manner. And here's the effect that it had in you. What diligence it wrought in you. Let me expand that thought. What that is saying, you have shown all carefulness to shun sin. You have shown all carefulness to distance yourself so that you in, not in any way, shape, or form could ever be identified with it. That work of God was so deep in your heart that you went the extra mile just to make sure that you could never be identified with it. What carefulness. When that repentance worked deep in your heart, what carefulness it wrought in you. And he goes on and says, what a clearing of yourself. Let me expand that. That means you judged yourself. Didn't need anybody else to judge you. The conviction caused you to judge yourself. And you began to cry out for mercy. And you didn't stop crying out for mercy until you had the assurance received in your heart. It wasn't as simple, by faith I'm going to say this prayer, and by faith I'm going to take that it's answered. It doesn't say that. What it means is that you cried out to God, and you judged yourself, and you just asked God for mercy, and you asked God for mercy, and you poured your heart out to God until you had a divine witness within your heart, within your spirit, Spirit, that assurance was received, you were determined to clear yourself from it. What a clearing of yourself. Then he goes on to say, what indignation. What does that mean? That means when you think of that sin, it makes your blood boil. <laughs> what boiling of your blood when you considered that, you were vexed with, emotionally vexed with yourself. Couldn't believe it. Then it goes on to say, what fear? In other words, you, you tremble at the poison of coming in contact with sin. You tremble at it. It means... You're afraid of losing God's favor. How many know His loving kindness is better than life? And you're afraid of the poison of sin affecting you, and you don't deal with it, that you could lose the sense of God's favor on your life. We're afraid of that. We're afraid that we would come short of a full salvation we don't want to be like that generation that came out of Egypt with the signs and wonders, but had hard hearts. 
And that was their problem in the wilderness. The Bible says, harden not your heart like those in the wilderness who, who provoke God in the wilderness. Don't harden your heart. And you and I should be afraid of what sin could do to us lest we also die in the wilderness and never make it into the fullness of God that He has for our lives. What fear. We're afraid of hardness in our own hearts. Then it goes on to say, what vehement desire. That means the desire in us against sin is so sharp that there is a desire in our hearts that we would never, ever, ever under any circumstance ever have a wrong attitude, ever hang a wrong spirit, ever have a wrong emotion against somebody else. We just can't do it. What sharpened desire against everything like that in us. It's sharp in us. We don't want it. We clear ourselves of those things. Then he goes on to say, what zeal? What that means is we have been stirred to action in the business of salvation. Stirred to action in seeking God. Stirred to action and not just being lackadaisical in our relationship with God. But we want the grace of God in our heart. We want the grace of God in our soul. We are stirred to action to do business with God because without the anointing and the blessing and the power and the victory of God, we can't live. That's birthed in us by repentance. Stirred to action. And when we're faced with opposition, we just get bold in the face of opposition. We trample upon danger. And in the face of discouragement, we just carry on. What zeal. And then he goes on to say, what revenge. What vindication. In other words, we're ready with a holy malice to destroy whatever wrongly affects our hearts. Now, let me tell you, if people get saved like that, that kind of conviction, when the Spirit of God shines on them and they see themselves, and then they start to become broken before God, I'll tell you what, such a person will need very little, if any, counseling at all. Somebody is demonized. But God can break through their heart in this manner. There will be nothing for demons to hold on in that person. In all things, you have proved yourself to be clear in this matter. No wonder the psalmist cried, Search my heart, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Let us give God the gift of a contrite heart. It will bring Him pleasure. It really will bring Him pleasure. I could only speak for myself. But I know this. I have to guard my heart. I continually ask God to break me. I ask God... I don't know if you ask God these kinds of things, but I do. But make me soft and make me pliable and let me emotionally feel what you feel. Not ashamed to weep if that's necessary. 
But Lord, would you have full and thorough access to the depths of my being? Church, we've got something precious. We've got God's presence. I'm going to say that again. We have something precious. We have got God's presence. I'll say it again. We have something precious. We have this consistency by God's grace that when we worship, He shows up. Let us never do anything to scare that devil away. Let us not have a wrong heart, a wrong attitude, or a bitterness, or an anger. And I'm talking to myself. Eugene, keep your heart tender. Don't allow it to become hard. Don't allow it, no matter what I do or what somebody else would do, don't allow it to take up a hardness. But always give everything over to God. Lord, take my heart. Have access to the depths of my being. We have your presence, and I fear losing that presence. I don't know if you fear it, but I would fear losing that presence of God. I don't ever want to lose it. It's worth more than life. His loving kindness, the psalmist said, is better than life. And therefore, I have to guard my heart with all integrity, the best of my ability. God, would you just continually work in my heart and work in my heart and work in my heart. Take all hardness away from it. Let's prepare for everything that God wants to accomplish. We prepare it by repentance. I really do believe that. I believe repentance clears the ground for God to move. Amen? Do you agree with that? Repentance clears the ground so God can plant His field. And this is what I want God to do in my heart. I want my heart to be clean before God. Because we've been crying out to God and crying out to God and crying out to God for revival. We've been crying out to God for the pouring out of His Spirit. We've been crying out to God for the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven. And I fully and truly believe with 100% of my being that even though messages like this sound a little hard to handle at times, I fully believe they are absolutely 100% necessary even for the mature believer. Amen? Even for the mature believer. Because the fact is this, the true impact of revival depends upon the preparedness of our hearts. John the Baptist cried out, Prepare the way of the Lord. And what was his message? How do you prepare? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if we want revival, which we do want, if we want the breaking forth of the power of God, which we do want, if we want to go to a new level and a higher level in God, which we do want, then the fact is, I've got to get on my face even more before God. Search my heart. Clean me out. 
Help me to respond in the right way to everything that comes at me. Help me to respond in the proper way, in the proper heart. Help me, O God, to maintain a pure heart and never, never cause, what's the word I'm looking for, never cause complications in the way of God. Give me a pure heart, O God. I'll say it again. The true impact of revival depends upon how well our hearts are plowed. How well our hearts are prepared. That's why the book of Lamentations ends with this thought. One verse from the end, it says this, Turn us unto you, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. Or, you know this scripture, Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. May his kingdom come and may his will be done. This is my heart and this is my prayer. Change my heart, O God. Change my heart. I fully believe, 100%, I fully believe that we allow God to do this. Even as mature believers, nothing will stand in the way of revival because God is attracted to humility. Amen? God is attracted to humility.